we'd like to welcome you back to part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for May 22nd, 2016. I'm sorry, May 21st, 2016. And this, okay, so we're continuing on with the New World Order uh, agenda and excerpts from the book Underground Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains. And um, again, part of the reason I'm doing this too is that I got a lot of good feedback over just the, the excerpts I was reading from the Solomon Islands book. And this information is so, like what I'm reading next, is so confirming and so pertinent to the information we've covered today and in previous studies. And it's just, it's just so mind-blowing to me to actually see all of this confirmation come in. This one starts out by saying, on November 13th, 2011, a former U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant sent a long email to Skyships over Casher's website. It was primarily about the secret facility beneath Perry. Below is the pertinent part of the email. It has not been edited. <clears throat> so this is a former U.S. Uh, US Air Force Staff Sergeant. Okay. The Perry facility and the secret facility underneath it, I fully believe this facility is connected to other facilities that travel north through the Appalachian Mountain chain. This is one of the main bases that will be imperative to initiate the new world order after some huge event takes place, takes out the infrastructure of the United States. Now what, what better than false flag dirty nuclear bombs that they can blame on Islam and then every other demon possessed vessel of Satan getting the green light to kill the infidels all within a, you know, starting initiating all this within a 24 hour time frame. You see where I'm going with this? And this Perry facility, he believes, is one of the main bases that will be imperative to initiate the New World Order. So, what does that tell us? That tells us we should be praying against these underground bases. Which is something that probably the church does like almost next to never. You know? I, I haven't even done this near, near as much as I should. Okay? But as far as for intercessors out there that are more dedicated to that thing, prayer. I know we're all called to prayer, but there's other people that are literally like called to it like for as their ministry. Okay, uh, this would be something to add to your prayer list. The Freemasons are an integral part of this as well. Now this is coming from a U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant, former Freemasons, of course, you know. I have found Perry has definite connections to the Freemasonry and HARP, which is the ionosphere heater that they've, that they've got in different places that they're using to uh, superheat the ionosphere and do all kind of nasty stuff. I am writing to help cause, help the cause and get information out there. I don't think that there's anything to stop what is coming, but those who are informed can at least be prepared, which is, again, kind of why I do what I do, you know. Um... I wanted to validate that the Google image with Perry facility blacked out has been doctored. My current, and I, I guess that's the case, my current area of study is the Natural Resources Conservation and Management with a concentration on geospatial analysis. Geospatial analysis includes remote sensing, which is basically satellite image analysis, and I am taking this class right now. I asked my professor, who is a PhD, about the image. She has no knowledge of the area or secret facility. And she immediately said that she thought it had been doctored. So I guess they're doctoring the image of Perry. 
now on Google, at least at the time of the writing. So right now I have at my fingertips software that can look at a satellite and aerial images, analyze them, and find anomalies that the na naked eye cannot see. I am just learning this stuff, so I'm in no way a pro, but I'm going to start investigating the Perry area to find evidence of this base. Uh, if there is any specific areas that I need to focus on based on eyewitness and such. Now, granted, there, I, there's, there's aerial photographs of this base. It's not like it doesn't exist. But evidently, at the time of the writing, I guess Google was blocking it out. You know. Uh, also, my friends and I are avid hikers and campers, and it would be great if we could find evidence this way as well in that area. Not long after receiving this, this email, the former staff sergeant revealed he was not working alone to find the truth about Perry. He had teamed up with others who had served in a su supervisory positions with the U.S. Air Force. So from this point, I refer to the source of information coming from the squad. <clears throat> Based on the dates, the squad provided they had been investigating Perry for at least five months before contacting Skyships over Cashers website. The first thing they share with us was the image to the left along with this brief statement. On Saturday, 22nd, October 2011, between 5 and 6 p.m., while passing the entrance to Perry, we witnessed a vehicle being led out of the gate by a security guard that appeared to be in a SWAT-type uniform similar to the uniform in the image we're providing, but without gun and helmet. This is not your average security guard uniform you'd expect at a facility that declares itself to be an astronomical education center. And it's basically a guy in full SWAT garb, minus the, the helmet and the uh, gun. You know, but I'm sure they had that available as well. The third bulletin from the squad revealed that they, and I'm skipping forward, that they had found the day before they sent their first email to Skyships over Cash website. Once again, a photo was included. Here's the message. Some of us were hiking along the Blue Ridge Parkway on November 12, 2011. When one of us caught this photo of a UFO at 4.01 p.m., we were near mile marker 434. There's, there's mile markers all along the Blue Ridge Parkway. And they're not like, I think they're more like wooden ones. They're more like rustic looking. Everything in the Blue Ridge Parkway is made to kind of look like more rustic, you know. So they're, they're distinctive, these mile markers. We were near mile marker 434, not far from the Devil's Courthouse at the big bend of, of the parkway. Remember, the Big Bend is the area, Devil's Courthouse is where the guy put his ear up to, the, to that big, huge rock and heard the machinery, which is also near Perry. More importantly, the UFO was flying low uh, at about 25 to 15 to 20 miles northwest of Perry. We did not hear or see anything at the time. We only discovered the UFO after reviewing our photos the next day. We zoomed in on what's over the object and inverted the colors to better define the shape but did no other manipulation whatsoever. And here's a picture of it. It's almost like a thermal image they took. And it's, it's a very good image. So the picture's in here. I mean, this, this is an expensive little dude to buy, but they are pretty good, I have to admit. Anyway, about three months later, the squad found another anomaly just south of Perry. Here are two photos and a brief report. On February 5th, 2012, we were scanning aerial photographs of Rosman, North Carolina, which is immediately south of, of Perry. And so you've got all this stuff going on around this this Perry, this Pisgah Astronomical Research Center. Okay, all UFOs and all kind of weird stuff and military, and as we'll see, it just gets worse. During our search, we found this 2010 image of an anomaly that is about 15 feet in length, about the size of a pickup truck. This image data is public data at, and they give a big long website address here. 
and they even give the coordinates, latitude, and longitude. And it's it's a it's a UFO, as well. Uh, these are not the first reports of UFOs flying low over the vicinity of Perry. Since the Skyships Over Cashers website was started in 2008, we've had more sightings reported along the Balsam Mountain Ridge than I can recall. It is interesting, and this is what you expect near a place where a lot of wickedness is going on. Like the Solomon Islands, for instance. They got, they got UFOs there all the time. I mean, it's like a nightly thing. I mean, they got UFOs on every kind of thing you can imagine. You know, so this is what you expect to see. When you see that, when you see, when you know wickedness is going on in that vicinity, and particularly underground in this case, um, <clears throat> it's interesting though that witnesses from the southern edge of the ridge, the Balsam Ridge, where Perry is located, are the most reluctant to go public about their sightings. They're also the ones who have reported seeing, and they've probably had a lot of veiled threats that they've heard other people have gotten, and it's like you know, if you know it, you're, if you know it's good for you, you need to keep your mouth shut about all the strange going-ons around here, <laughs> basically is what they're doing. They are, they are also the ones who have reported seeing UFOs flying in and out of Wolf Lake, which is almost due west of the Perry facility. Now, that's also another very, very common theme you will see in that Solomon Islands book. There are multiple lakes on the Solomon Islands in um, Guadalcanal alone where... These UFOs are seen coming out of these lakes, and a lot of times you could literally go there, you know exactly when they're going to come out, and you almost can predict exactly when they're going to come back. It's almost like they're on a timing thing, and they'll come right out of the lake. They're usually deep lakes that are very hard to access. They've got some type, and what what better way to kind of conceal an entrance? I mean, where if, if you've got a deep lake that's very, very hard to reach, I mean, the only way you're going to get down there is if you have deep water diving gear. And who's going to go down there and, and, you know, mess around with that? You know, so um, that's a common thing you'll see too. So there's a lot of these seen coming out of Wolf Lake, which is almost due west of the Perry facility. Uh, those with knowledge of underground facilities in other parts of the country say the lake might be an entrance to the military base beneath Perry. It probably is. I mean, it's more covert for a UFO to fly out of a lake than out of the side of a mountain which a lot more people would actually be able to see that. A lake, obviously, there's going to be trees around the lake. You're not really going to see, I mean, unless you're above the tree line, looking down, you're not going to see the UFO actually come out of the lake. You're just going to see it kind of hover out of the trees if you're even seeing it at all. And that, that's if it even has lighting, because I'm sure they can go dark and whatever. Um, <clears throat> so it says that, the lake might be an entrance to the military base beneath Perry and that the military may be working on black projects with certain species of extraterrestrials. Well, they've been working with them, them for a long, long time. Just look at my last teaching in Key and Grenada Treaty at the keyword search box that contended for truth. Okay, now here's a couple pictures of inside of the Perry. It's thought-provoking that the main entrance to the Pisgah Astronomical Research Institute sometimes is guarded by military men in SWAT uniforms. Sometimes the public is invited in, and sometimes the place is seemingly wide open for anybody to come in. The following report fits the last category. We received it at Skyships Over Cashers' website on January 31, 2012 from a woman who lives south of Asheville. Two friends and I made an unannounced visit to Perry, 
What we found supports your website's claim that the facility is a capstone cover for a secret underground military facility. Here's my account of the visit. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to hit the high points. First, I'm a 50-year-old professional. I have a high-profile job in my community, licensed by the state in my field. I'm also an intuitive and an energy healer. So she's new age. Okay, just we get that out of the way up front. Doesn't mean she still can't pick up on vibes and things of that nature. Now, she's not doing it from a godly standpoint. Okay, but I'm not going to say that that doesn't mean she can't have any intuitive whatever. Obviously, there's a lot of people in the new age that, that operate like that. Okay, on January 4, 2012, two friends and I decided to visit Perry near the town of Rosman, North Carolina. When I checked the Perry website, I found it was a bit vague about access, so I went without making arrangements. Now, remember, there's a sign at the very front that says you can't come in here unless you've got an appointment. I should mention that I've done business in the Rosman area over the last four years and always have felt a very strange, strange energy whenever I've been there, which is also a common theme you see about this. I've also seen military vehicles parked all over town, as others have reported on your website. And again, why are they military vehicles parked all over town in, in the closest town of Perry when Perry is supposedly just an astronomical research center that has no military purpose? Does it make sense? As we approached the Perry entrance, we were waiting for a gate or something to stop us, but no one was there, absolutely nothing. We continued in the facility, really amazed that no one was there to stop our car. Uh, along, all along the entry corridor, though, there were poles on cameras, so we knew we were being watched. Basically, I'm just going to skip ahead, but basically they go in there, they drive around, nobody's there. It's like a ghost town. They go into the main building, they're walking around everybody, nobody's even there. Nobody's even there. And, um... Then, finally, a woman came up from the basement. The only one we saw the whole time we were there. The only one they saw the whole time they were there. This is a thing that takes up the whole top of a mountain. Okay? And she said, so you found us. <laughs> Casual. Have you signed in yet? We went into the side office, logged in, our names, date, time. She was in her 30s, a scientist type, dressed in jeans and a hoodie. And she knew her stuff about the facility. Each room we walked by had posters of space, huge telescope photos, Decks piled high with books, papers, and all kinds of space-related garb, jackets, hats, stuffed animals, stuffed aliens. Hey, who doesn't like a good stuffed alien? Stuffed devil. Bring it back, bring a nice big curse into your house. So, uh, the so-called occupants of these offices were space enthusiasts, scientists, astronomers, but something was very off. Where were all the people on this Tuesday afternoon? And this lady had to come up from the basement. We were told we could go anywhere in the building, look around, anywhere. And she meant it. Now, after everything that I've just said, isn't this a little bit surprising? <laughs> you would think this place would be locked down tighter than Fort Knox. Oh no, but see, this is all the whole uh, diversion. This is the whole deception of the place, okay? Uh... We were told we could go anywhere, and she meant it. We stuck our heads in these offices, but we didn't stay long in any of them, so we wouldn't be scrutinized. The offices felt strange. Then we went into a big hall they used for astronomy shows and, and exhibits, and we noticed another peculiar, peculiar thing, the flooring. It was a metal rectangle, retractable floor, like the kind in an airplane breezeway, but very large, like over 5,000 square feet. I knew the purpose was disguised as wiring related for monitoring equipment, but I felt like it was to house something much bigger. By retracting the entire floor, the whole facility could be repurposed quickly 
and efficiently. So in other words, when they go into there, whatever mode they're going to ultimately go into, this whole place could be repurposed for its true intention very quickly. And then they go on and they just said that they go into other room, held a display of spatial-related items, control room filled with huge banks of completely outdated computer equipment, big old relics made to look like they still operated. In front of the big relics were smaller, older desktop computers with simple computerized displays of seismic activity, tectonic plate movement and such, similar to the kind accessed by education departments. Everything was very old and dated with really nothing looked used much, if ever. Okay, so this is a front, in other words. There's no people here, you know? Um, I'll just kind of look. They, And then my overall impression of the facility is that it feels like a huge, lame attempt to cover up other activity. It's just such a big stretch to believe that such a huge facility in the middle of nowhere with outdated everything is being maintained just for educational purposes, for space enthusiasts. And you got to have a permission to even go there this lady just popped in and they were just whatever they must have been in a good mood that day because on certain days you can't even get in this place they got SWAT guys at the at the front so it depends on if they're if they're in a covert mode where they're doing you know their black project stuff up top you're not gonna be able to get in there on those days but on the days where everything's going on underneath and they got everything locked up oh sure you know we'll let the doors up and whatever they're watching you the whole way in, though. There's cameras everywhere. But you might go there and nobody's even there. Now, I don't know what it's like now, because this was 2012. Yeah. January 4, 2012. Um, it's also very pe peculiar, peculiar that we had untethered access to the facility. I can't even get that kind of access at senior centers, nonprofit organizations, or even public park buildings. In other words... They're probably doing that because they know there's a lot of rumors flying about Perry. So they're like, oh, no, we're going to be really, really cool. Lady comes up in jeans and a hoodie. Uh, yeah, man, sure, go through anything. Treat the place like your living room or whatever. Mikasa Sukasa, you know? We'll give them unfettered, un and guaranteed there's not one single thing up top that's going to give anything away what's going on underneath. It's all there for show. But they figure if they do that with enough people, enough people will say, ah, oh, you know what, there's nothing going on here. Why would they, if this was some big top secret thing, why would they do this? It's actually very brilliant. Everything we saw and experienced seemed to confirm that the, the Perry facility is covering a huge underground military base. The fake transparency is like hiding something in plain sight. That was her assessment. Several people living along the Balsam Mountain Ridge have been perplexed by vibrations of mechanical or grinding sounds coming from deep within the ground. So now we go back to this. For some, the cacophony only lasts a few days, and for others, the sound continues for weeks or months. It is suspected by former U.S. Air Force supervisors in the squad, that group we talked about earlier, and many others that the deep underground tra transportation hubs have been cut, be cut beneath the Appalachian Mountains. Here's a sample report about the sounds from a woman who lives in the Balsam Mountain Ridge, about 15 miles north of Perry. On February 5, 2013, she told two of us at Skyships Over Cashers website that on the weekend of January 26, 2013, she heard something that sounded and felt like loud machinery. This was puzzling to her because she lives in a rather remote area at 3,500 feet elevation. The woman said that the sound was so loud 
that she went outside to find the source, but there was nothing in sight, no vehicles, no machinery, no helicopter flying over. It was, it was also snowing, uh, and not a day that any kind of construction would be going on. Throughout her search on the property, she continued to hear the sound and feel the vibrations under her feet. Next, she went back inside and searched her house from top to bottom. The vibration and sound were just as strong on the second floor. That's when her search became more intense, and she checked all her appliances and plumbing. Nothing was wrong, any of it, yet the sound and the vibrations continued all day long. She emphasized that in the 13 years she and her husband had lived on the mound, she had never heard or felt anything like it before. It is interesting to note that the woman lives fairly close to the Ar- Ar- Arnold Palmer Golf Course at the Balsam Preserve, a gated community east of her home, it's been a location where there have been multiple UFO sightings, even those who have been reported by skyships over cashers. Uh, even the Mountaineer, a Waynesville newspaper, included this photo of a UFO in its story uh, on the June 7, 2008 opening of the golf course. It was taken by D.C. Buchanan, who was a reporter at the time. So we got that. And then we've got the secret facility between Sugarloaf Mountain. And... Um, there's a little map here, and it says the red marker on the map points to the location of the secret underground facility at Sugarloaf Mountain, which is southwest of Chimney Rock State Park. Spaceships and military helicopters have been observed over a second secret entrance to the underground world of the government military black operations in western North Carolina. This is one at the top of Sugarloaf Mountain, which is southwest of Chimney Rock State Park between Hendersonville and Lake Lure. Now, I've been to Chimney Rock a couple times. Literally, when we first got up here, we were just kind of driving around literally i was just driving around praying (laughs) you know and just seeing okay god is there anything any open doors any you know where do you want us and the lord worked it all out but this is one of the first places we went was chimney rock and uh just beautiful so we're last the mohican some of the scenes that were filmed i mean just gorgeous just oh gorgeous stuff and um lake lore is basically to the Oh, I guess you'd say east, northeast of Chimney Rock. And this Sugarloaf Mountain is basically due south by, really southwest of Chimney Rock. So if any of you have been there, that's where we're, we're talking about, the Sugarloaf Mountain. The spaceships, um, okay, more specifically, uh, let me just read this again. Okay, spaceships and military helicopters have been, have been observed over a secret secret entrance to the underground world of government military black operations in western North Carolina. This is one at the top of Sugarloaf Mountain, which is southwest of Chimney Rock State Park, between Hendersonville and Lake Lure. More specifically, it's directly beneath the Federal Aviation Administration uh, facility. Because it's so much more than that, I refer to it as FAT. F-A-A-T. From the air, FAT looks like a nuclear silo location. Compare the Google satellite image below of the mountaintop to the diagram on the next page, and it looks like a military silo complex. Maybe it is, I don't know. Um, so, we're looking at, there's all these diagrams and stuff. We found all of this intriguing. So on June 27, 2010, two of us from Skyships of Cashiers arranged a meeting with a woman who lived practically on the top of Sugarloaf Mountain. It was an adventure just getting to Rebecca's home because the gravel road was steep and narrow with multiple hairpin curves. The road abruptly ended at the fat gate. But it's like a 30-minute hike to the actual site. So I guess they had to hike 30 minutes to get to her house? I don't know. There are two distinct things that happen up here that are very odd, Rebecca told us. One was in 1969, 1970. So you have to understand, this is how far this goes back. 
this gearing up for the implementation of the New World Order, and these underground bases play a big part in this. Um, it was at night. There were helicopters flying up at the top of the mountain. This was 1969-1970 area. They would hover over the mountaintop and drop earth-moving equipment. They had floodlights up there and worked all night long. The shape of the mountaintop was changed overnight. The next morning, my husband and I hiked up to the site. She continued, it was like walking on a fresh grave. It was like they dug something up, took it out, put something else in, and covered it up. I don't have a clue what it was. It was covered with sod. The other very strange thing that happened up there was five years ago. I was up here alone, and I heard a huge explosion inside the mountain. It shook the entire house, and the mountain, at the time, I wasn't sure if it was an earthquake or an explosion. She soon knew it had been an explosion when she saw an unmarked 18-wheel vehicle escorted by two unmarked white pickup trucks, one in the front, one behind, and a person walking beside the 18-wheeler. There was something huge on the trailer that was covered with a tarp. They all went up up the mountain and stayed there up all day. Later that afternoon, the three vehicles went back down the mountain with something on the trailer covered with a tarp. I was assuming they replaced whatever had blown up, which, yeah, probably right. As if to emphasize this part of the Rebecca's story, at that very moment I saw a white Jeep Cherokee with a government seal on its door pass by her house, by her house very, very slowly. They can record what you're talking about in your house from the road. It's not a big deal. They've got that type of surveillance equipment. It turned around and slowly went by her house again. All three of us felt like they might be monitoring the interview, but with a knowing chuckle, Rebecca continued. Back in the 60s, she went on, there was a vehicle that would come up every morning with three people in it the same vehicle would leave the night and uh leave at night with three different people in it they seem to do that in three day ships at shifts at the top of the mountain there are a number of structures up there she added i once managed to peek into one i could see tire tracks going up the wall so obviously something happened up there maybe an elevator behind the wall so they're driving straight into this wall at the top of the mountain next rebecca spoke about two types of spaceships she sees at sugarloaf mountain most of the sky ships which they refer to ufos as sky ships I've seen around here with a circular top and bottom, very much like this one. It's a picture of one. So your classic UFO type thing. And again, you always see this activity wherever there's this black covert governmental stuff going on. You know? Now, I did see one at the bottom of the mountain by the side of the dirt road when I was small. That was small. She continued. My husband stopped the car and we looked at it for probably two minutes. It was circular like a big metal ball, it was about two feet across, and it had antennas sticking out from it, going in all directions. Her and her husband saw this both. Some had little things on its ends, and some didn't. It was raised up about eight inches to a foot off the ground on four wiry legs, so you never know what you're going to see. There were rows of lights going around the ball, as if it, if it had an equator, there would have been rows of lights above and below, and another row below that. The lights would move around the ball. I think it was remotely controlled because it was so small. When I started to open the car door out of to get out of here and investigate closer, my husband reached across and closed the door and said, we're out of here. <laughs> then we returned to town and it was gone. Um, then Rebecca began telling us about two types of extraterrestrials on Sugarloaf Mountain. I've been coming up here since 1969, but I don't remember communicating with ETs until the early 1990s. Now, she's another intuitive person, empath or whatever, new age or... Some are highly spiritual and come from a more advanced civilization than ours, and some are mischievous and clearly on a lower level. Okay, so now we get into the good cop, bad cop, alien stuff, which I've recovered. I've covered the subject at length, okay, um, in, especially in recent studies. 
The mischievous ones seem to have left here about two years ago, she said, but before that they would play with people's minds. Sometime they would follow them into town. When they left the mountain, they would freak people out. They especially liked to scare away anyone who was highly intuitive or psychic, probably because they might tune into what was happening beneath the mountain. Now, that may be very true, though, okay? Uh, just because you're new age just doesn't mean you can't tap into that demonic stuff, okay? Now, Christian could tap into it, too. It's, I just think it's less, a little less common, okay? Um, but they didn't bother those who are oblivious and unaware because those people wouldn't have a clue about what was going on anyway. So that's, that's her take, you know, as a new ager. That's kind of how she felt about the whole thing. Okay, so continuing, um, we're on page 29 of this, you know, it's like, a, like I said, it's kind of like a booklet. It uh, <clears throat> says, I took the photo on the left on June 27, 2010 from the upper portion of the hairpin curve on the steep and narrow gravel road that leads to the fat facility at the top of Sugarloaf Mountain. According to the three people we interviewed three years later on March 9, 2013, about fat, the, the road literally was amped up after we first was were there. The first eyewitness was Karen, who sometimes stays with a friend on Sugarloaf Mountain to watch over the property when her friend is away. Uh, late last summer, I was driving up there, Karen said, and saw a convoy of electrical trucks, like the Pike electrical trucks, that go in droves to repair utilities during major storms. There were a total of 20 trucks along a road that serves only 8 houses at the top of the mountain. So that's pretty fishy there. Um, <clears throat> that wasn't all she emphasized. There were black unmarked S suburban SUVs and a couple of Black Hawk, Hawk helicopters. So it was obvious that something unusual was going on. Since 2010, Karen told us the narrow gravel road has been transformed. Now it's nicely graded and wider. I mean, they keep it pristine. And it's just for a few houses, which is very strange. The electrical lines that were being installed last summer are so huge that you would expect a giant sports stadium to be at the end. Each concrete pole is five to six feet in diameter. That doesn't even sound realistic, but she says it's five to six feet in diameter. Um, the lines, <laughs> the lines, the electrical lines are about 10 inches thick. Now, I've never even heard of anything like that, so I don't know whether she's grossly exaggerating or whether this is accurate, but, I mean, that doesn't even seem plausible. I mean, I don't know, you're trying to, like, power the inner core of the Earth? I mean, 10 inches thick on a power line? Anyway, and then she says there were multiple lines that were like this, not just one. So, I mean, the, the power requirements that would need something like that, I, I don't even know. I can't even comprehend that. I saw the lines being strung from giant cable spools that may be 10 to 12 feet in diameter. I mean, these are just gigantic proportions she's talking about. The new electrical lines go from the top, very top of the mountain, and then under the ground. I should add that every time I go to that mountain, I see some kind of suspicious vehicle that seems to be guarding or monitoring the area the second eyewitness was joe who occasionally does residential cleaning for home on sugarloaf mountain road about two weeks later after karen saw the electrical trucks on the mountain joe told us i went up there in august 2012 to do a cleaning job i saw the trucks too the vehicles had no labels and the license tags were just numbers with no indication of state county or city or numbers which is very suspicious plus i saw at least two big drilling rigs trucks that were capable of deep drilling 
I mean, you have to understand that this kind of stuff is going on underground, on top of the ground, all over the country, covertly, and has been for multiple decades, this stuff. They have been gearing up for this. Trillions and trillions of dollars. I mean, just absolutely huge parts of our budget that just literally disappear into this black hole every year with no accountability. And this is just one evidence of that. You know, um... Now, the men, going back to this, it says, now the men that with the trucks were not your typical power company guys. Uh, they were built like Marines or Navy SEALs. One big guy stopped me and asked where I was going and why and how long I was going to be there. I thought, why is a power company guy asking me these questions? So I answered the first two questions and then I just drove on. Surprisingly, I wasn't stopped, but I felt an, ele an electrical force as I proceeded and I know I was watched closely. I've been back up the mountain several times since January 2013, and every time I've seen the, the same four-seat Cessna Skyhawk airplane flying around the mountain. They've literally got an airplane flying around the mountain, I guess, just to do recon and surveillance. I can't recall the letters, but the number is 1157 on the side of the plane. What gets really weird is that I've seen the same plane with the same number over my house the office, and a friend's house. I just feel like I'm being watched ever since I started this cleaning job on Sugarloaf Mountain. So they're heavily monitoring anybody that even goes and pokes around regarding these things. So that's something to understand. If you feel so led to, to go and explore and do any of this work, make sure you're praying and, if not fasting, before you go because you really want to make sure you're called of God uh, regarding things like this because you know you go up there especially you go up there by yourself and you're not called of god you might go missing and you might never be seen again okay there's been a ton of people that go missing around these types of bases and they're never seen again so you know they need they need people for their their little nightmare hall experiments and in, in whatever they're whatever's hungry down below and I mean that literally. I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, we've got, and I've done studies on this before, we've got, on average, about a million people that go missing in America every year. And um, it, most of it is attributed to the homeless or people that just go off the grid that where, you know, you're not seeing them on the back of a milk carton. These are people that just go off grid, go off the, the uh, whatever reservation, and they're, and they're just, they're not seen again. And if they're homeless, it's the perfect thing because they can just be scooped up and nobody thinks anything about it. Well, you know, whatever happened, happened. To the tune of about a million per year. Where are all these people going? I, I've, and again, I have covered this on numerous occasions. Uh, so I, I don't really want to go into that too much more, but um, people, all these people turning up missing in national parks. That's been a, another huge, gigantic thing all relates to this subject that we're talking about here today. Uh, and if, if you want to know about that, just go key National Park People Missing on YouTube, and you'll find tons of videos on it. You know, there's people that have their whole, um, the whole thrust of their research in just in that one direction. It's such a problem. Just that one issue alone. Okay, so uh, then it goes on to say that's, not the only thing that's weird, Joe, continue. My business partner and I have seen crows and animals that don't appear real. When you look at them, you don't feel like you're looking at a living thing. It feels like they're robots using, used to patrol the area. Now, there's three pictures of here of robots, real robots. One is a penguin, 
monitoring the little penguin thing. That way, that they wherever they're doing the research in the South Pole, most likely, they can monitor them. One is a literal bird creature. Looks like a bird, but it's not. You can tell it's a machine, but it, if you if you weren't close enough, you wouldn't be able to tell that. And then another is like it looks like a honeybee, but it's actually like a little drone. These are drones that can be put out covertly and so this type of technology exists is what is what the point that's trying to be made here the third eyewitness was joe's business partner bob who sometimes helps joe with his sugarloaf mountain job throughout joe's testimony bob confirmed that he too had seen many of the things joe spoke about he also contributed the following information we've seen lots of trees all over the mountaintop that have purple green and i think orange rectangles on them bob added it looks like someone used a stencil pencil and spray painted them on the trees that has to mean something well, we don't really know, but it means something. Bob, along with Karen, also pointed out that the state of North Carolina purchased nearby Chimney, Chimney Rock Park and expanded it. According to, the, to my own research, the, the state authorized the purchase of 1,222, which is quite a bit, additional acres in December of 2011, which expanded the park by 20%. That was after, actually, even after I went there. Uh, this means that nobody can build there bob explained but there and which is another common thing you're seeing is is they're cordoning off access to the parks they're expanding them there's there's big no-go zones in the parks we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in a minute but um yeah that's another common theme you're seeing here there's no access to the secret facility from that direction it's just a buffer zone a protection for the entrance to the hidden facility Okay, so now let's move on to the next subject. This is the secret facility beneath Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Now, this is when this would be more near like when I went out to uh, Gatlinburg, and we saw all of the, the the foreigners, these Eastern Bloc type people, Russian, Ukrainian, all working in like whatever shop or, or restaurant or whatever they had out there. And I just talked about that a little bit earlier, but. Um, it wasn't long after when I moved to North Carolina that I began hearing rumors about the secret military activity in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Uh, then on February 16, 2013, I had an opportunity to interview a credible witness with a military background about a secret facility. For his privacy and protection, I have changed his name to Clark. Throughout the interview, Clark used the word we to include his wife who often accompanied him. She too once served in a branch of the U.S. military. And again, one thing that's nice about this little this little booklet thing is that it gives you, every time it talks about something, it gives you like a map. So you can kind of orient yourself like, oh, okay, this is where we're talking about here. And basically what it all boils down to is western North Carolina, um, where really when, where you get into the mountains, okay, so the far western region of North Carolina into the um, far eastern um, area of Tennessee, which is where you have Great Smoky Mountain National Park. All these areas, you know, merge together, essentially, at, you know, at the uh, Tennessee-North Carolina border there. And it's very, it's a very mountainous region. I mean, even driving through there to get over to Tennessee, you have to go through this, you know, it's, it's quite a maze of, of, um, like almost like switchback roads type of thing just to get over there and that's even a major interstate it's that way An incredibly beautiful area so going further 
Before re revealing his information, Clark showed me and another person from Skyships Over Cashers website the photo below, which was taken on November 27, 2012, near the intersection of Highways 74 and 441 on the south side of Cherokee, North Carolina. And it shows this flatbed truck with this domed shape, white structure, and then another room that looks like just some kind of room you would set up for, I don't know, some type of containment. Referring to the trailer truck shown in the photo, Clark told us the truck was driven by a female truck driver with whom we spoke. She said she wasn't sure what was on board, but it belonged to the U.S. Air Force. I'm surprised she'd say anything. She said she was waiting for five other trucks and an escort to take them to the newfound gap where the loads would be airlifted to an undisclosed location. While I was there, the other trucks arrived, Clark said. They all had canvas covers on them that said uh, United States Air Force on the side. Then I saw escorts arrive in white SUVs with government plates and the guys were dressed in black carrying weapons. So he just happened to get there right before, you know, the big boys showed up where he actually would have access to this truck driver lady. Okay, because guaranteed he wouldn't have access to her once all these other guys showed up. When we asked Clark what he thought was on the truck photo, he said, I've seen something similar in the military. The dome-shaped thing on the back of the truck looks like a clean room that you walk in to be decontaminated which puts you in the mind of like the show outbreak with dustin hoffman which i've talked a lot about about you can just key in the keyword search it uh the website contending for truth and um they would go into a clean room and then you know it decontaminates you and then you go into the other room you know and then take your your suit off type of thing so that's that's evidently they were airlifting a whole bunch of these and they're, and they're, you know, they're airlifting them to this real remote location, you know, for it, you know, I'm sure for use at some later time, which is probably going to be when you-know-what breaks loose. So, um, we followed those trucks at a distance, Clark said. As soon as they went through the gate at the Smoke Mount Campground, just north of Oklahoma Lufty Visitor Center, the park rangers closed the gates and then closed the park. So, I mean, honestly, it's just like these parks are being used as covert, so much of the time, covert areas where they're able to do these things under the cover of darkness. And at their discretion, they just close the parks off and you have no access to them, even though they're public parks. And sometimes it's for years. Certain areas are closed off. Maybe, uh, sometimes it's for basically indefinitely. There's areas in the Great Smoky Mountains you cannot go at all. And this is where people that have stumbled into those areas have seen, like, Russian troops on patrols and, like, totally dressed in black and, you know, threatened at gunpoint at the point of death type, type scenarios that I've heard over and over again that's not even in this book so much. Going further, next I handed a Clark a map of the Blue Ridge Parkway. He immediately focused on the Henatuga Ridge Road and the Mile High Campground. About three years ago, they closed the road. Um, it was completely closed for two years. That's what I mean. Two years. They're, they just, oh, arbitrarily, we're going to close the road. The official line was that there had been a washout, but when we went back through there in the, in the summer of 2012, after the road reopened, there were no signs of anywhere of a washout. Yet the road beyond Mile High Campground had been 90% repaved. So what they're doing is they're logistically getting all their ducks in a row because the last thing they want is when they're called to act to go hot, to go active, and to implement whatever nefarious thing they're going to implement when, you know, all the stuff really starts to go down. 
the last thing they need is them coming out of their secret military bases getting bogged down in mud with their unbelievably heavy machinery and things that they're trying to haul. They want to make sure that that doesn't happen. So they're making sure they get all their ducks in a row ahead of time to ensure that's kept to a bare minimum. That's my opinion. Uh, now, there was nothing wrong with the road before. It was a perfectly good good shape, but they repaved it all the way to the end where it turns into a one-lane dirt road or gravel road. Now it's all repaved. Um Clark speculates that the road was damaged by heavy trucks hauling supplies and equipment to the underground facilities, exactly. And that was why the road had to be repaved. Because they didn't want to... It's going to be much more important for them when, when they're called upon to act, to be able to act quickly. You know? And roads by themselves, <laughs> especially roads up there in the mountains, they can go bad real real quick. While on the Hanatuga Road, Clark continued, we saw four white SUVs with U.S. government plates, now with all the forestry vehicles have the U.S. Forestry, forestry stickers on the doors. Now all forestry vehicles have U.S. Forestry stickers on the doors. These were just plain SUVs. We didn't see anybody around the SUVs, but they were parked near trails, which seems to be a common theme. They're all unmarked type vehicles working with the government, which is even more suspicious. Then one day, some of our friends drove our ATVs on a one-way section up the Henatoga Road from the hatchery on Big Cove Road in Cherokee, after they had ridden three to four miles up the road, they were stopped by park rangers who were carrying M4s and AR-15 machine guns. Park rangers don't carry those kind of weapons. So in other words, they were they were under the cover of being a park ranger. You know? And here it's showing pictures of this area they were at. Our friends were told to, to turn around because the road was closed and they weren't permitted to be on that point. Right there sends up a red flag. And when you ask the rangers about it, they say, oh, there's nothing like that in the park. Then I have an ex-military friend who now works for the National Park Service who told me they are not allowed to even ask about any unusual activity in the park. The Air Force has been doing an awful lot of airdrops over the last uh, two years, up here, Clark said. They come through Cherokee. We were at Cherokee Fairgrounds one day, and six big transports flew over. They appeared to be bigger than C-130s. Their back gates dropped, were open, and starting to close as they flew over the fairgrounds. So all six had to make a drop. I mean, this is a big deal going on for years. They're really gearing up for something heavy duty. Then, up at Mile High Campground... We saw a low-flying planes dropping parachutes with big containers or packages on them. I mean, what are, what are these military planes doing with, with, you know, dropping these gigantic air payloads over a public national park campground, you know, unless something really weird's going on? We actually saw the parachutes coming out of the planes. At the time, I thought that there was some kind of military training going on, or perhaps the park rangers were supplying outposts on the Appalachian Trail. Since then, there's been plenty of evidence that the military is building something in the remote area near Hanatoga Ridge Road. I believe from everything I've seen and heard that it's an underground facility in that area, and then it's only accessible by helicopter. You know, um, so, which would even make it even more covert if it was only accessible by helicopter. But I believe probably at the proper time, you know, they'll, they could cut a road out of there. I'm sure they've got that all figured out and, and they could probably cut a road out of there if they haven't done it already you know so they could have a breakout of whatever they're going to try to implement clark took 
Okay, then going further, it says, One day we saw sky cranes flying across with boxcar-sized containers. They were gray, and I figured they were army, and the containers were green. At that time, I figured they were putting in shelters for the park rangers. Shortly after that, we put two and two together and realized they were building something. They're supplying something up there. While there are lots of U.S. Air Force planes and helicopters that fly over the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, Clark said, the park has been officially declared a no-fly zone. And that the official excuse is that they're trying to repopulate the elk and the noise would disturb them. All garbage. All lies garbage. It's okay for them to fly their, their military stuff, which would make ten times more noise and racket than any kind of private little airplane would. Here's a picture of the Oka, Okan Alufti Visitor Center. And it's on the busiest highway through the Great Smoky Mountains Park, and yet elk can be seen every day from the highway. So it's that's a garbage story about the elk being scared away. Like Clark, most people believe the elk excuse is bogus because the elk are seen daily from the highway in front of even their, their main visitor center. So, <laughs> going further, I've suspected there was something being built up there for about three years because there was... A quite a lot of rumbling noise going on, Clark said. In the middle of the night, when everything is real quiet, we've heard rumbling again. We see this theme again. Sometimes we take four-wheelers up the Henatoga Ridge, and we've heard something, sounds like mining equipment, grinding sounds, booms, or explosions. One time, my wife and daughter and I camped up there just beyond Mile High Campground and heard the sounds about four different times. Even in Cherokee, there have been loud noises that nobody could figure out where they came from. We've also heard have tremors in Cherokee every now and then but they're never recorded by the USGA. <laughs> Yet, when there have been tremors in the nearby towns of Silva, the USGA records those. Again, just a big cover-up. Finally, I want to emphasize there are many others who've seen and heard unusual things in and around Great Smoky Mountain National Park, including some park employees who are afraid to even talk about any of it, which is another common theme that we see. Going further... Additional confirmation for Clark's testimony about the secret underground facility beneath the Great Smoky Mountain National Park came from Skyships Over Cashers website in the spring of 2013. Uh, this above photo and the written reporter from Jane who had served in the military. And in the above photo, what we're looking at here is a road with um, uh, it's a road it's a road closed sign with a gate across it and uh, those barrels that block the road. Tuesday, April 30, 2013, started out great. I drove up the Blue Ridge Parkway for an express purpose of taking pictures of a 75-year-old Masonic monument. So there's a big old Masonic monument up there with an impressive history. With the sun shining brightly, I drove along the parkway with a sense of gratitude and wonder. The scenery was amazing and inspiring. I felt so good, light, and happy. About 30 miles out of Silva, North Carolina, near Parkway Milepost 458, I saw the sign for the Masonic Monument. Following the directions on the signage, I turned right. Shortly after, everything started to change. I began to feel nauseous at first. So here we go again with this, these feelings people get when they, when they start to enter into these places. Almost like you're, not only is it probably some type of electromagnetic thing that they're doing on purpose, but it's almost like I think people are picking up on all the sheer evil that is being, going on underneath, is being plotted, you know, in that area. They're picking up on that vibe. Driving another mile and just beyond the Mile High Campground, I came upon the barriers and closed park gates to the Henatoga Ridge Road, the road to the monument. 
I still thought it might be able to take pictures of the Masonic Monument. Leaving my car and walked past the barriers and the closed gates, I half expected to see large trees across the road, but there were no obstacles, and the silence was deafening until it wasn't. I walked down to the first two overlooks and I realized that at even 5,300 feet, there should have been birds and small animals. In fact, one website, which I guess is called Romantic Asheville, states that near Mile High Campground, the number of different songbirds is outstanding. I, however, only heard one woodpecker for about 10 seconds and then he stopped and I heard a pounding, loud and large. The sound remained, reminded me of big equipment pounding pylons into the ground for bridge construction. I tried peering over the edge of the of the overlook to see if there was maybe a construction going on. I stopped to cover my ears with my hands to see if it was my own heart pounding, but it wasn't. I spent about an hour or so behind the closed gates, and the boom, boom sound continued on and off the whole time. The largest continuous pounding lasted close to 15 minutes. By then, my inexplicable nausea turned to complete fatigue, and it was even hard for me to think clearly. I've since learned others from uh, learn that others who've gotten too close to secret military facilities have similar uh, physical and mental distress they too have observed the eerie absence of animals and birds sometimes some kind of electromagnetic pulses used to repel people from the secret sites after we posted clark and jane's information on skyships over cashers website several seemingly credible individuals came forward and gave us a brief collaborative testimonies one man told us he was in a room adjacent to a Cherokee chief's office and overheard talk about the bodyguards for the chief and that he and his family would be taken to an underground facility if there was an emergency. Another person explained that the Cherokees are one of the 550 federally recognized tribes that are regarded as sovereign nations. So in other words, it's like they're the leader of their own country. Okay. It was further explained that the federal government views the Cherokee chief as a sovereign leader of his people. After that explanation, the person said last year, 2012, the chief got a visit from the feds and told him that in the event of an emergency, they would come and get him and his family and they would take him to a place of safety. So they would guard all the heads of these different Indian nations. And just like we would, we would guard our own president and vice president and those types of people, because they're the ones that in the time of this crisis that's coming that they're going to be putting out to whoever they're, they, they want them to reach to placate and calm down their respective masses. So that makes sense as well, why they would want to do that. Okay, so going further, then there was a woman who reported she was at a, was at a party talking with a friend who camps on hikes with her husband in and around Cherokee and the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. The friend told her they were out in the woods sometime in 2005 when suddenly men dressed in black appeared carrying automatic weapons. At that point, she said an editor of an area newspaper, and I've heard that story many times, she said that, that an area, um, the editor of an area newspaper overheard the conversation, interrupted, and said, oh, really, where? I want to see the place. Where's the place? He was really way too inquisitive. After that interruption, the woman said, my friend clammed up and wouldn't talk about it anymore. She was fearful. Here we have pictures of United Nations, Russian, German soldiers, and others who have been seen on maneuvers in the Great Smoky Mountain National Parks. This is where a lot of the foreign troops are. A ton of them. Since I moved just south of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park in 1998, people have told me they've seen foreign United Nations soldiers on maneuvers in the park. Eyewitnesses have 
have been campers, hikers, hunters, and those who drive Jeeps and ATVs on the park's remote roads and pathways. Because of their reports over the years, I paid serious attention when Clark came to me in 2013 and told me about a secret military facility beneath the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Like all those who have seen foreign troops on maneuvers in the park, I've wondered why that it was allowed. With a bit of research, I learned the reason I felt felt it was important to share with others. In 1972, during Nixon's presidential administration, the United States signed the World Heritage Treaty that put some of the country's national parks, historic sites, and monuments under the protection and the control of the United Nations. Forty-three years later, most citizens don't know that. If it sounds, um, most citizens don't know that. If it sounds too unbelievable to be true, type in UNESCO, U-N-E, SCO, World Heritage Center Convention, in your computer search bar and read the treaty for yourself. Like I said, when I was in, when we were in Gallenberg, we went up on that that little sky needle thing they had that went above the city. The, that was the, they had a huge plaque at the top of it. UNESCO World Heritage Center. Whole area, world, United Nations biosphere, basically. And, and who are all the workers there in that town? Eastern Bloc, foreigners, very, very cold, Russian, Ukrainian, these types of people. What, what are they doing there? Why? Oh, some worker exchange? Come on. No, they, I'm telling you, they're all prepositioned. At the, at the time of the treaty, many outraged articles and letters were written. I found one written by Pastor Tex Mars to be the most readable. Here's the bulk of his 1997 letter. Across this great land, our national parks, wildlands, forests, and lakes are being turned over to UN control. And this is, remember, this is from a 1997 letter from Tex Mars. Joseph Urso Jr., a friend of the ministry who hails from Knoxville, Tennessee, recently sent me a photograph of the entrance sign of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Notice the sign phrase saying, an international biosphere reserve, which is right under Great Smoky Mountain National Park. This means that under the United Nations Biodiversity Treaty, a precious resource owned by the American citizens from over 200 years has been tur turned over to the UN's bureaucrats for control. Yes, you and I will continue to pay taxes for the maintenance and upkeep of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, but we no longer own it. Now the UN has the ultimate jurisdiction. This alone is startling evidence that the once independent nation state known as the United States of America is going out with a whimper and not a bang. Our sovereignty is coming to an end. As a consequence across the USA, our parks and our wilderness areas are slowly being closed to the public. Roads inside the parks are being grazed over. Mountain passes and hiking paths are being blockaded. No fishing, no hunting, no trespassing. Signs are being erected everywhere on public lands. Entrance fees are being jacked up 100%, even 500 percent higher to keep american families out of these lands now this was 1997 so you can imagine how much worse it is today and that doesn't even they, they don't even get into all the people that are being abducted in these places go missing and all the underground military bases you know that are going on i don't i don't know if it was as prevalent back then as it is now so that's a whole other layer of evil that they're you, you're dealing with now when you venture into these parks the, the UN and its elitist masters don't want you on their property. And in case you do trespass... Now, remember what I had said before. They all want us to, to hurt us into these stack-and-pack cities and create all these, you know, no-go zones in America and, and just 
herd us into these designated areas where they can easily control the populace. So this is all just part of that. This is where they're establishing their beachhead, you know, and then they want to move out from there and push all these people off private land in, into their designated cities. So, um, and in case you do, and in case you do trespass and enter forbidden areas in these pristine United Nation lands, you might just be shot. U.S. Fish and Wildlife agents and park personnel are now being taught to love nature's Mother Earth and to despise and loathe human beings. They are being given firearms and instructed to use them. Meanwhile, foreign immigrants from India, China, Pakistan, Bulgaria, Russia, and other nations are being recruited for this National Park Service. Police duty, because unlike U.S. nationals, non-English-speaking foreigners will not hesitate to carry out orders and shoot American citizens, which are also known as intruders. So this is where we're, we're at with these things here. Let's continue. The original intention of the World Heritage Treaty may have merit. After all, most of us want to preserve our national resources. But the foreign soldiers, but when foreign soldiers can freely operate within the borders of the United States without any accountability to our country, something seems dreadfully wrong. It's also concerning that treasured places continue to be added to the World Heritage Protected Sites. The northwestern Hawaiian Islands, which is 140,000 square miles, went under United Nations jurisdiction in 2010. Then in 2014, the monumental earthworks of Poverty Point, Louisiana was added. The map below shows all but the most recent addition. There's a map there that shows a lot of these different sites. Now, let's continue on. This is the secret facility between Mount Mitchell, which is in North Carolina as well, whereas the Great Smoky Mountains is mostly in, you're, you're looking at that uh, far eastern Tennessee um, region. The source of the following information is Hawk, who retired from the medical uh, field service years ago. I don't think this is the same Hawk that's up with Steve Quayle. Okay, I think it's a different one. Anyway, before that, he served as a combat medic during the Vietnam War. Not ready to completely ret retire, he contacted the North Carolina National Guard to volunteer at its medical wing. He was accepted, but his first assignment had nothing to do with medicine. With clearance from the FBI and the Army Intelligence, he was given undercover surveillance assignments... Hawk originally contacted Skyships over Casher's website about an ISIS training camp in western North Carolina that he felt the public needed to know about. Now, do you see how this whole teaching has went full circle now? This is the last thing we're going to be talking about. We're almost done with the book. Okay? And it's went full circle. We started talking about ISIS and, and the nefarious agenda and why it was created and why it's, it's let why it's being let just loose to do whatever it pleases and why it's given all these special privileges now we're going to end with that as well from a from a kind of a little different perspective um on april 14th 2015 okay so this was just like a year ago now we're getting real current Two of us from the website met with him for an interview. Almost a month later, he made contact again with more information from his surveillance missions that he wanted his fellow Americans to know. So we arranged to meet with him on May 8th, 2015, like, you know, just a little over a year ago at this point, for the second interview. Precautions were taken and we met at a different location. The American people are going to be in for a rude awakening unless they wake up now and prepare. He began with grave concern. Then he told us about one of his surveillance missions in the fall of 2014. It was during that mission that he saw with his own eyes that Mount Mitchell 
is under military control of the United Nations, just as his superiors had revealed during a secret meeting. And here's a picture of, like, the Mount Mitchell Park sign, highest peak east of the Mississippi River, 6,684 feet. I was chosen as a commander of this squad of troops to get into surveillance positions within half of a mile to a mile of Mount Mitchell for a period of days to observe people and the vehicles going in and out of the area, he explained. There was no real road to get to our intended location. We drove over old logging roads and through ditches. When we finally got there, we camouflaged our vehicle and started hiking. It took us approximately four hours by the time I had dropped off the final guy at his predetermined outpost. Uh, using a military compass and a handheld GPS. Our man assigned to the primary lead on the security observation saw the blue hats carrying what appeared to be huge, solid frame backpacks. The blue hats are the United Nations troops. They're called blue hats. Okay. So this is weird. It's like, a, it seems like it's like a faction of our own government spying on what's actually going on in these national parks. Um, he, so, I mean, originally, like I said, he contacted North Carolina National Guard to volunteer its medical ring. He was accepted, but his first assignment had nothing to do with medicine. This was his first assignment. With his clearance from the FBI and Army Intelligence, he was given undercover surveillance. So, it's almost like, you know, maybe there's different factions here trying to keep an eye on one another. Anyway... Um, so they had these huge solid frame backpacks. They, they, they were on surveillance, okay, these, of these blue hats. He saw them come out of a building on the rear side of Mount Mitchell and said they appeared to struggle a bit under the weight of the packs. A lead man accompanied each man who was carrying a backpack. After hiking one behind the other for a distance, they, meaning the blue hats, split up into two, no, into four man, to four two-man teams. Luckily, I had enough squad members to follow each team. The Blue Hats dispersed down the east, north and south, and west side of Mount Mitchell, but not in straight lines. They zigzagged back and forth. Soon, each lead man pulled out a folding military shovel and dug a hole about six feet off the game trails they were following. Then a sensory device from the backpacks was buried in a hole that was about a foot deep. These sensors were placed every hundred meters. Each team must have planted 50 of them. They were highly technical sensors that would detect anybody walking in the force. So understand, you even getting near one of these bases, now they've got sensors planted, they've probably got motion detectors, they've probably got video camera surveillance, they might have drones out there. Who knows what kind of technology they might have. You know, they've got, the, the, like the one place said they had had that airplane circling around the mountain all the time. I mean, who knows? So they're, they're very, very... Um, big on keeping this under wraps some associate observers down along the railroad tracks in marion relayed to us that they saw between 20 and 25 tanks being offloaded from a train in the dead of night onto a tractor trailer on an adjacent road hawk continued later our team observed the tractor trailer starting to drive up the road to mount mitchell uh 20 to 25 tanks from a train in the dead of night on tractor trailers, on adjacent road, all of this covert? Yeah. Our squad did not say did not stay to observe the unloading of the tanks, but another team that was also on the north side watched the two highways that go down Mount Mitchell and reported that no tractor trailers came down. So the tanks were offloaded at Mount Mitchell. 
So again, these appear to be gigantic staging areas where like they're like beachheads where all of this nefarious heavy machinery that's going to be used against the American populace is going to be deployed. Is what it looks like to me. At least this is one place they'll be deployed. When we asked Hawk what kind of tanks he said, they were he said they were lighter green than conventional US military tanks. It was a primer green, which means the tanks would most likely be repainted at the underground facility. Uh and here's a map of where all of these things are. It's funny, the Mount Mitchell is due south of where I just went to that that um LA Marzula uh, conference in the mountains of, of North Carolina. It's basically due south of Burnsville, which is where it, it was between Spruce Pine and Burnsville, which is where we, we were at this, this little uh, thing. So, yeah, I mean, this is in my backyard, basically, a lot of this stuff, what we're talking about here. Really, all of it, if you think about it, because um, I'm in western North Carolina. He says, we know there are facilities on the backside of the mountain, he told us. They can go approximately 20 stories underground. Some of the doors are absolutely huge, but they're camouflage doors that look just like they're part of the mountainside. It's unbelievable how hidden they are. Absolutely unbelievable. Then Hawk looked intently at us and asked, why do you think they have tanks there? Why do you think the United States government sold or gave Mount Mitchell to the United Nations? Why do you think so many of us within the U.S. government are putting our lives on the line to protect this country from outside control? See, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm doing this report. Because I have to do my part. They're doing their part. you know. And, and this is why it's so important to educate people so they're aware, aware of this and, and to pray about this. And you know, who knows what doors the Lord may open regarding all of this. Okay, so continuing, after Hawk told us about the military facility between beneath Mount Mitchell, I felt it was important to include his earlier 2000, uh, April 14, 2015 testimony about an ISIS cell, ISIS Islamic terror cell, in the same area that we're talking about here, Mount Mitchell. So, like I said, they're all working together. They're all on the same team. The United Nations, ISIS. See, ISIS is who they're going to blame it on. Even though they're the ones that have brought them here, Made sure they get their nice training. Make sure they have all the most wicked elements of that here. And then the, once ISIS does their thing, then the UN can sweep, swoop in, or then martial law can be declared. Then the UN can swoop in and, you know, say, okay, we're, we're taking over. We're, we're in control now. We're, we're going to get a handle on this situation. Even though they created the whole thing. Order out of chaos. Okay. And they're even working out of the same area in this particular case. I mean, it's treasonous doesn't even describe what we're talking about here. He observed the ISIS terror cell and more during another surveillance mission in the fall of 2014. Okay, so he goes on to say, Hawk, I was called by a gentleman from where I don't know. He gave me directions to go to a small motel west of Burnsville. Uh, Burnsville's due north, and that was like where I was talking about where I was at with, at the L.A. Morzula thing. A uh, small motel west of Burnsville, and a person would be standing outside to wave at me, and that would be a signal that I was in the right place. I met the gentleman, and he took me into his motel room in the back of the motel, gave me a minimal briefing about my job in this surveillance mission. He said that we were watching a total of four houses. 
all out in the country, a total of five people and three vehicles, which he described. He said the woman who drove one particular vehicle was the head of the ISIS cell, and after the briefing, we ate at a light supper and then went out for a night of surveillance. Hawks said the next morning he and the gentleman went to the church where the female ISIS leader attended. Now, I'm kind of wondering what kind of church is this? Is it like a Christian church, and they're just doing this so it's a, it's a cover, and that they can go to the churches and act like they're Christians, but that at the same time they can get maybe the addresses and things of this of the people going to these churches so they know the first ones they need to take out? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know. Hawk drove his vehicle because the man's vehicle had been compromised. As recently as December of 2015, Hawk said that his life had been threatened. On one occasion, a man told him, be careful what you say, be careful what you tell people. That was followed by a much more ominous threat. Then he opened his coat and he had a knife on each hip, Hawk said. I could tell by the casing that it was a short knife. He pulled it out and he said, do you, do you see this knife? how it has a three-inch blade and it's curved. I said, yes. Have you ever seen one before? Hawk said, no. Well, it's for slicing throats. If you love yourself and your family, you better keep quiet or I'll come back and slice your throats. Which is subtle. I mean, you know, it was at least subtle. It was, it was you know, pretty nice. Um, chillingly, though, this is the crazy part here. Chillingly, the man with the knives worked with Hawk on his early surveillance missions missions so in other words even though this is a surveillance mission from and let's just to be accurate uh, he had fbi and army intelligence clearance was given undercover surveillance uh assignments through the Na north carolina national guard even though he was working with them they still have people implanted as moles within the national guard and wherever else so that when they find somebody that's really doing a good job, really, really wanting to do the right thing, really wanting this information to get out, then they can go say to them, okay, now you go threaten Hawk, threaten to kill his family and slice their throats. He worked with this guy on the early surveillance issues. This has filled Hawk with grave concerns for himself and for the nation. But despite the threats, he has resolved to warn the people about ISIS in America. On a later surveillance mission, Hawk said, we went west of Asheville. There on a hillside overlooking a very small valley is an encampment. You would think it was Daniel Boone's fort, but it's built stronger than that with guard towers and concertina wire. There's everything there. It's one scary place. There's, there are always 100 to 125 people there. I saw four nationalities, Arabic people, Hispanic people, French people and Americans. Some people wore UN blue helmets, and the one guy wore a white armband with a swastika on it. So they got everybody in there. All on the same team. UN, ISIS, the whole nine yards. They're all on the same team. But they each have their parts to play in the coming, when the, when the false flags start to go off. They all have their own little parts to play, their own little hats to wear, essentially. At one of our National Guard intelligence meetings, it was confirmed by a gentleman from the Army Intelligence Corps that there is an ISIS, ISIS members at that encampment. They typically come in there in full cell groups of five or six people. They arrive at night in three to five vehicles, and then within two to three hours before dawn, the same vehicles leave, but they're full with people who have finished their training. 
I don't know where they go. I don't know where they're from. I just know there is an equal exchange of people. That tells me a couple of things. It tells me they're ramped up and they have an intensive training program. After about a week after we finished that mission, we got an intelligence conference call that stipulated uh, that word had been sent out to the highway patrol, sheriff departments, and law enforcement and MPs in Western North Carolina that the training center is used for no good. Yet the UN's there. You know? <laughs> and we know about it. And nothing's being done about it. I mean, total insanity. Even the mil the, they're fully aware of it. They're just, I guess, all being told to stand down. Don't do anything against it. That encampment is the enemy of America, Hawk declared. And all of your patriotic people, please sit up and take notice, take heart, because they're going to hit homes, they're going to get hit malls, they're going to hit hospitals, they're going to hit elementary schools. Because, see, those, those, they're just not going to go out and hit the local community. They're going to go out to wherever they can do the most amount of destruction and cause the most amount of chaos so that they can get that martial law train going. That's what their mission is going to be. Maximum death and carnage so they have maximum new world order out of the chaos they're going to create. We intercepted enough of their data, their encrypted codes, to know that they're ready to move out. So if you have a gun permit, always have it with you. If you don't have a gun permit, you carry a rifle or shotgun or a pistol with you. This is just the, for the patriots of America, the people that want our country back and won't let it be taken by ISIS or anyone else. From our own investigation near Mount Mitchell in 2010, we had reason to believe Hawk's story. That was the year we found out an octagon shape on the top of Sugarloaf Mountain. That was the year we began google cruising over suspected sites that was the year we found a large hexagon structure in a remote area of the pisgah national force northwest of mount mitchell and south of burnsville which was probably this isis training center okay and they give you pictures of this stuff here the map above shows highway 197 south of burnsville um and so they kind of give you a little layout there after pinpointing the hexagon on the map we decided to check it out we drove to Burnsville, went south on Highway 197, turned on East Wart Wilson Road, which is the only road that comes close to the hexagon. When the road became more of a forest path, we came upon a no trespassing sign printed in all capital letters. To this day, it doesn't seem right that U.S. citizens can be threatened by penalty of the law for being on national forest land. And here they show pictures of the sign itself. Posted, all persons are hereby notified, warned under penalty of the law, not to hunt fish or in any manner trespass upon this land or the waters of that part of, of the Cane River and the Sugar Camp Creek or their tributaries within the boundaries of this tract. So this is where ISIS is setting up camp. One of the places, just one. This hexagon investigation didn't end in 2010. After a few years later, I went back to Google Maps to search for East Wart Wilson Road. To my surprise, I couldn't find the road. No matter how I tried, instead the location of various Walmart stores came up. Um, thank goodness I recalled that the hexagon structure was somewhat close to the Pisgah National Force marker on Google Maps, so I zoomed in on that area. Finally, I was able to find East Wart Wilson Road, and I followed it to its end. An extensive Google cruise of the area revealed no sign of the hexagon structure. Since it had become nearly impossible to find East Wart Road, I had to consider that the hexagon was artistically painted out of existence, which is one of the things they're commonly doing now. And we've seen evidence of that earlier in the study. Note that the hexagon is about halfway between Burnsville to the north and Mount Mitchell to the south on the map. So that's just a little bit of what is known. Okay? 
that's we went through the whole book the most of the big pertinent parts of that of that booklet that it was about 49 pages in total um so that's all i have for today uh, I wanted to go over that information. I just felt that it's very, very important. And it very much coincides with the first part of the study, you know, to the middle to the end. It just kind of all ties everything together. So this is just a gigantic wake-up call for um, really humanity in America, you know. And um, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, this time you've given us. Um, Lord, I pray to God for your divine intervention regarding these matters that we're talking about here. Uh, Lord, you know what they're planning. You know when it's coming. I pray, God, for divine providence, for divine discernment, foreknowledge regarding your remnant, regarding the righteous people out there that that do not want, Lord, this this country to just be annihilated by the new world order i know what the word of god says about revelation and daniel i know things are going to get worse lord but i also know that we're we're, we're to fight for righteousness lord and we're to, we're to not give up and we're to be good soldiers for christ and i just pray that whatever our respective duties are god you convict us of those things whether it be praying fasting whether it be actually going to these places if so convicted whatever you command us to do i just pray to god we would be obedient I pray for God for your divine intervention regarding these matters. I pray to God that you would have the heathen in derision. I pray against these wicked underground bases, these wicked under uh, these wicked ISIS training facilities, all of these U United Nations and foreign troops on this land. God, I pray to God you have them in derision. I pray to God if it be possible, those within those camps, their souls be saved if it be possible, and that they get out of these things. But God, you know, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I I pray for your divine intervention. I pray for your angelic intervention regarding these matters. And that we would have warning, God, from what's to come. And that you would, if you want us to flee, and that would be on an individual level, God, I just pray to God you show us where you want us to flee with our families, if that is what your will is. And, Lord, I pray you forgive us for any and all sins we have committed as we forgive those who have sinned against us in any way, shape, or form that you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable and pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.